Well, here we go, folks, back in for uh, episode nine, we're up to now, of the Silly Goose Gang podcast. Myself and Chris are joined today by Gareth Gumpy Walker, British heavyweight bare knuckle boxing champion. So thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, Gumpy, really appreciate it. Cheers, lads. How uh, how, how you finding how you finding this uh, lockdown time, Gump? Oh, Stay my nothing. Absolutely. <laughs> you got you got plenty of house. today in the garden, like so. <laughs> I got all that finished. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, I think everybody's the same. Everybody's everybody's fed up right now. You just want to get back to the gyms and back to work. The, the good thing is that because I run the White Boxing Club, I've still got the gym keys. You can, so I can get in and train if I want. But because I've trained, I've trained for two camps back to back for six months. I've absolutely scanned it, and I don't want to train again. <laughs> we were saying that one. One of the good things about this, well, one of the few good things about this whole lockdown is all your niggling injuries. I don't know about if you found that, but any niggling injuries you've got, are, you know, pretty much disappeared now, eh? Along Aye. with the fitness, unfortunately. But at least I'm no struggling to get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> Definitely. I'm a lot stiffer though. Terrible. I stretch every morning. Terrible stiffness. Aye. All my glutes and all that. Well, the running is just. I kind of get a rub. You see, so I'm in agony. So I'm to stretch every day. We're all the same. We're getting old. Three, <laughs> three, mid, we're three middle-aged men now. <laughs> 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 three middle-aged men. So, uh, we, when you fought in um, February, you fought. Is that right? Oh, the first of February, aye. You knocked out your uh, your pal. I did, aye. <laughs> Very good. Pal, yeah. Um, I, did. I was just, I, uh, I was just, I was watching. I watched all the fights again this morning. Um, uh, from well, you've had four, four bare knuckle fights, four, is that right? Four, aye, four. I watched, I watched them. I watched them all this morning. Um, I suppose you were right back to the beginning. What, what, when, when did it start? Like, when did, when did your amateur stuff? Stop your amateur boxing. Stop when? Why? When did the, the bare knuckle start? Why did it start? Well, I can take you back to the rugby if you want to start because that's how I started. Well, start I... there then, Bob. You're you're the guest. You can talk to me whatever you want to. <laughs> well, I played rugby when I was younger, right through the schools and things. Uh, rugby was obviously my first love. <clears throat> uh, I done really well in rugby. Uh, as I got up to the, the semi-juniors, which is under-18s, uh, I played every level for the south of Scotland, uh, 18s, 19s and 21s, captained them. And then uh, I got a Scottish under-18s cap, uh, two caps for them. Well, you got a tie in their days. Uh, played a tour to Spain and then uh, played against Ireland. Oh. <clears throat> and then after that, I got into the Hoyt team. This was before professional rugby started. It was about 90, 95, 96. So it was a huge honour to play for Hoyk then. Uh, <clears throat> and as I say, my career came to uh, uh, an end in 2001. I got a, a neck injury. Believe it or no, and I'm, I shouldn't be fighting, obviously, but I thought I'd, I thought I'd broke my neck, but it was just a ligament. All right. Uh, it just never, ever healed, so... That's all. My neck's always stiff as hell. You can. Uh, I've got arthritis now in my neck because it. Thank uh, Christ. Uh, but so I finished playing rugby in two thousand and one, and then I went into coaching. I coached the PSA rugby team in Hoyke. It was a semi-junior team who I used to play for. Right. Uh, very successful. 
in the first year won the league and won the Scottish Cup, which hadn't been done for 18 years. In the second year, there's two semi-junior teams in Hoik. We had the Hoik Wanderers and the Hoik PSA. It was huge rivalry all the time. Mm. So uh, this had never this had never happened before. Two Hoik teams had got to the Scottish Cup final. <clears throat> and and uh, the Wanderers beat us in the final and they actually beat us in the league that year. So that was my second year as a coach. So... I finally retired for doing that. I was I was just sick. Two years of coaching rugby. I was that devastated after my rugby career had finished because when I played for Hoyke, uh, the, it was the Border Reavers at the time had just started up, uh, the professional side, and Alistair Canston was the manager at the time. Uh, and they, they had said that they were watching us. Uh, so who knows whatever had happened. Do you think they wanted you to go and take any coaching? No. No, no. When I played rugby for Hoyke, they were watching me, so I assumed that I was maybe going to get a trial to play professionally. I don't know. You know what I mean? So so after, when I was coaching the PSA, after the two years, I was just, I was sick of rugby. But I was that devastated because my career was taken away for us. So it it was still quite raw like. So uh, I just, after the rugby, I just went and played the boot in a gym in Hoyke, a boxing club in Hoyke. Um, not Hoyke boxing club at the time, but just uh, just boys, ex-boxers, things like that. It used to be the original Hoyke boxing club. Uh, just just lads that used to box in their 50s, boys that are in their 50s, 60s, just go down and still keep fit in the old gym. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody coached you. He just went and hit the bags, did some pads, did what you want. Mm. <clears throat> and then uh, I moved on to Hoyt Boxing Club. And that's when I started. I, I came into boxing late. I was 29, I think, I started uh, boxing. You must, you must have been, uh, uh, when, when did you start? What, 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 what year would you have started kind of being semi-serious with amateur boxing? Straight away. That's the problem with me, Chris. Everything I do, I put 110% in. So I either, if I start something, I want to win. Uh, I remember that. I remember that when you punched me in the face. Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately I got a lot of them for you in the Scottish. <laughs> so that would have been that would have been 2009. Is that right? Was it then? Was it? 2009, I think it would have been. Gone. <clears throat> I never started until 2000. I was like you. I was I was late. I was um, 24. When I had my first fight, that would have been the April. Uh, that would have been the April of 2000. Maybe 2010, actually. It might have been like January 2010 or something. That might have been. As as started late, I started late. I started. I had my first fight in April of 2009. Um, and I was I was doing I was doing quite well. I went on a nice run, and then I met. I got lied to by the boy that run Card and Then Boxing Club lied to me at the time for the Eastern Districts and said. Ah, uh, there's only one boy in it, super heavyweight. Uh, just fight him. Because Scott Hartley was in it, 91 kilos. And um, uh, what was the guy? Tasker from Kirkcaldy was 91 kilos. Two guys were too good for me at times. So I'd only had five fights. Go and fight this guy. I say, hoik, a boy called David Patterson. So I say, all right, okay. So they told me he was, uh, he told me he was about 100 kilos. I was 92 kilos. David was about 115. He broke Plus. my head. I, I lost <laughs> that count back. And then... Uh, and then I had another fight and then went to the, the Scottish uh, novices. <clears throat> and uh, when I went there, 
uh, I had no, there was no coach. I never went to a coach. I went alone. So when I thought right. I had spiked spike the King Corf was in my corner for the semi-final against you, and then uh, Tommy Cannon was in my corner against uh, David in the final. Yeah. Um, which is crazy. Now, if you think now we're one of your own boys, you would never let one of your own boys turn up at a competition of his own and fight. You just wouldn't do that, would you? I know, I know. Crazy. David, so, David, uh, it was good because David was my sparring partner at the club. Uh, he was he was a, huge, a huge puncher, wasn't he, David? Massive. Massive. He broke, he broke my ribs. He broke my ribs on the left side in the Eastern Districts. Um, it was quite funny because when I boxed him in the Eastern Districts, um, I wasn't sure. It was a bit like, ah, I don't know if I won that or not. It went, it went on a count back. It was 7 7, and I think I lost 15 13 on a count back. <clears throat> when uh, when we boxed in the semi-final the novices, it was the same thing. I went back to the, the end of the third round, went don't know, I don't know about that. And then I got I got I got uh, I can't remember what the score was, but I won. I think it was narrow. And then when I boxed Dave in the final of the novices, I thought I won that fight. And it was wild miles in his favour. Kind of was something like 10-2 and this point, and I mean going, what how did he score fights? I've no was idea it? what happened. But um, Davey's a lovely guy. Nice. This is what's cool about uh, we do jiu-jitsu now, Ali. But combat sports are good in this manner where you can punch, you can punch lumps at somebody, and then sit and have a blow on him and have a fight, and that's fine. Again, there's nobody. hundred percent true. That's hundred percent true. And it's the same in the same in the same in rugby. Yeah. Same in rugby. Same in everything. <clears throat> Contact sports, discipline sports. You know yourself. You're training. To beat this person, but you absolutely respect the guy in front of you because he's he's doing the exact same as you behind closed doors. He's training, you know. So, yeah. I mean, all, and the build up to it's all just bullshit, you know. Yeah. And your friends the day after it. <clears throat> what happened with the, with the amateur stuff? When when did that? When did the amateur stuff stop? And when did the the bare knuckle? Because you because you were doing a bit of coaching at Hoyk before the bare knuckle stuff. Yes, well that. With the amateur gear, at that time, you could only box three or 35. That's right, aye. So uh, I had my last fight in Alla Town Hall uh, against a big big Polish lad. He was huge. And he was only, he was only 20 year old or something, you see. Yeah. You'll know yourself, then super heavyweights who really struggled to get fights. There wasn't that many super heavyweights out there, so... One of the reasons that I had to fight super heavyweights because I was never a super heavyweight. There was no debt heavyweight. So one of the reasons, one of the reasons that I stopped boxing was you, I would fight anybody, and you just couldn't get fights. There was no debt fight. Um, yeah. You'd end up going over the same two or three boys all the time, and it just ugh, this is terrible. <clears throat> so he, super because you, you would you could never have made heavyweight, so you were a, you were a super heavyweight, and there was no debt. There was wasn't there wasn't anybody to fight. There just wasn't it. No, there wasn't. I mean, I boxed at 100 kilo. And I mean, I can remember uh, Stevie Maguire's show, mm. uh, Glenn Ruth's show. And uh, I was to box a, an exhibition because I couldn't get an opponent. And it was Liam Rusty. Can Liam for Oliver? Uh, yeah. Aye, I do. Aye, aye. Aye, Liam, nice lad, Liam. I mean, I turned up, he was only 92 kilo or something, 94 kilo. Uh -huh. It was uh, Gibby. Uh, Gibby, I can't mind the Gibby. Gibby, Gibby Aye. Nice lad, uh, so they came up to me, they, they weren't going to have the fight, 
So they says, we'll, we'll just take it as an exhibition. And I was furious. Yeah. Uh, so we went out and the referee had said, big Stevie Maguire came up to me. He's a big naughty bugger, Stevie. Like, he gave us 10 <laughs> gloves. Uh-huh. 10 gloves in an exhibition. He says, punch his block off for making an exhibition. I says, uh, so when I went into the ring, the, the referee had come up to us and says, if you hit this boy, I'm going to stop it straight away. I says, are you joking? And Liam was punching the onions out of me, and I wasn't allowed to punch him back. It was a fucking embarrassment. Well, I tell you, this happened to me once, God. This, this, uh, when I went, I left Calm Den at the first point to go to Kid Ross. My last fight at Kid Ross was the same, almost exactly the same thing happened to me. So I was 91 kilos, and I was, they, was meant to have, they were meant to have a guy from uh, Coldenstone from Mitty Box turned up. He wasn't there. That fight wasn't happening. They had somebody else from Coldenstone. And they said uh, he's only he's only eighty two kilos, but they want it as a fight. So I remember I can't remember his name now. You'll know the coach, um, a terrible name. And he came up and said to me, uh, "No, no, we want it as a fight." And I said, "If I beat you, you're going to complain about the weight. If I lose to you, then folk will go, oh, you lost a light heavyweight.'" So that can't win. No, 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 nothing like that, nothing like that. So the fight went on. He was quite a slick boxer. I think he had, uh, I think he had won the Scottish titles when he was younger. He outboxed me for the first round, and then I went, "Fuck this!" And I went forward, cracked him with something. As soon as I hit him, he just put his head down. He was tying up. He was making it ugly. He eventually, he was pushing me in the ring because he was getting frustrated. He got disqualified, and the first thing they done after that was say, "Ah, oh, you're too heavy." And I said, <laughs> you, "You just wanted it as a fight. It was meant to be an exhibition."
39 year old or something when I was sparring Decker. Uh-huh. And uh, I'd go in and I was absolutely chomping the brains at him. Uh-huh. <clears throat> I mean, he was a tough lad. Yeah, I could never put him on the ground like. But, uh, he's one of the, he's one of the boys. He's one of the boys. He's actually got a book, isn't he? Ah, uh, you're a good reader. You like uh, Decker Hague. He's got a book. He's one of the right. guys when you look at him, you look at him, and you go, "He's a hard looking bastard." He's <laughs> <laughs> one of the boys when you go, "Oh, I don't know, I don't know if I am." <laughs> I, I got I got a mention in his book. Oh, right, aye. I've had a yeah. that I have. <clears throat> aye, one of the one of the boys uh, he was fighting against. Uh, he was training for a. I think he was fighting Stevie Miller. That boy died. Now he killed himself uh, a couple of years ago. He was six foot nine. He was a bodyguard to Madonna. Uh, and Decker was fighting him, and I broke his ribs in a body shot in the last round. Right, that's what it is, I. And oh. I knew it happened, but he just he disappeared for three weeks, and I kept saying to his coach, "Where's Decker? I mean, he needs to spar for this fight." And uh, he never turned up, but obviously. It came out in the book what had happened. I was chuffed, like. The problem with Eric is he, he's, he's a lovely lad to speak to, but he's pretty messed up in the head. And he just used me. Okay, I was finishing, I was organising sparring. I was trying to rush through my work because I run my own business as a plasterer. Yeah, yeah. So I was trying to finish to get back to Hoyk to spar him. And sometimes he wouldn't even turn up. You know, uh, so I was losing half a day's work. Right. You see, and it really started to piss us off, like. Uh, and the worst thing was one day is I'd organised, I said, well, I'll come to Carlisle. And I, I, I'd gotten in the car at one o'clock to head down. <laughs> and I got a text message saying, I'm sorry, I'm going camping. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine for a title. What the hell are you doing, like? Uh, is, he, well, uh, is, he, is he still is he still fighting? He's acting. He's acting. Ah, he's got quite. Oh, a right. success. He was in the Governor film, the Lanny oh, McBride right. yeah. Okay. yeah, he's uh, he's been in two or three other films. He's listen. I've always have I've always had a soft spot for Deck, and no matter what people say, you can. He's had he's had quite a hard uh, hard time at lately, like, and uh, I said. I said something and, I, and, it, and I, I regretted it because I'm not a trash talker. Uh-huh. After, my, <clears throat> after I won the British title, uh, my fight against David Price in the bare knuckle, uh-huh. I got interviewed by the, the Radio Borders and I said that it's exact, why, same as what you're saying, why did I get involved in it? And I said to them that I used to punch the onions at them. You see, <clears throat> and he really took that bad like. Right. And it bothered us. It really bothered us up because I'm not that type of lad that would bring yeah. somebody down like that, you know. <clears throat> but uh, he's actually challenged me two or three times now, and uh, I've accepted every one of them, and I've never heard back from him. So yeah. he's a he's a strange boy, like. Uh, well, I mean, I, I don't know him, but he's one of the boys you look at and you go, he looks like a he looks like a hard man, and he looks like he's a hard. A, he's yeah. a big punch. He's very tough. Like he can yeah. take. This is um, ah, it's, uh, one of the one of the things um, one of the things I was going to say. I watched the the fight. You talked about. I just watched the David Price this, uh, that fight this morning. Uh, I watched them all again. Um, that was a beautiful a beautiful punch actually. Um, so I was watching watching the fights, and there was a few things. 
it's funny because going back, listening to what you're saying, that you're saying that you, you didn't think you were a, a, a particularly great amateur. But when you watch your bare knuckle stuff, you can see, I don't know what anybody else's background is, but you can see that you were, had a bit of schooling about you. Compared uh, to some other lads, there's a bit of schooling there. You, you was, it was a, the first fight you had Ben, ben Waddington. Ben Waddington was my second fight. Second was it? Fight. Uh, it was a punch you kept throwing. It was a punch that I threw a lot. It was a straight jab to the body. Right down yeah. there. Bringing the hands down. And then you could see you were coming up. Ken, you could see what you were doing, what you, how you were setting up. Um, yeah. Um, you, you could see there's a bit of amateur school in there. I don't know what everybody else's background was, but a lot, a lot of them look like they're just exceptionally hard men. You look like you had a bit of, a bit of uh, schooling. I mean, you, you know yourself, I mean, you get out in a street fight, it's boots and saddles, heads, feet, legs, everything, and it's the, the usual windmill. But, I mean, if you come up with somebody that's got a bit of technical ability, uh, then you can yourself, you, it's really difficult to box somebody uh, that's a bit because you just uh, kind of get uh, And Although I didn't have a huge amateur boxing career, I had a, a lot of experience with sparring. I've did thousands and thousands of rounds with all different people, you uh, see. <clears throat> And back to the Davy Price fight, you would never think I'd boxed in my life. I was doing the old street fighting. Well, a wee bit of technical. <laughs> it was just wild to start with. Like, it was, I was that nervous in the fight to start with. Because, I mean, this guy was a seasoned fighter. Mm. And strong. And, I mean... I believe he fought death as well, is that right? Aye, twice. Yeah. I mean, this boy could bang. Like, I've never felt anybody punch as hard as this in my life. And, I mean... On the video, it doesn't look as though we're actually hitting each other hard, but I've got a tremendous job. And uh, I couldn't understand how he was standing up to the shots that I was giving him. Like, uh, for a week after that fight, I had uh, four knuckle imprints in my forehead. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's wild. That's wild. How, how was the transition then, Gumpy, between amateur into the bare knuckle? How easy was the transition to go, like Chris is saying, from the the more technical side to the the, the borderline windmill street fight. <laughs> how, how did that transition go? For me, for me, it was easy. I just I just went and done it. Simple as that. I mean, <clears throat> after as I say, after the amateur career, I went and done some unlicensed because we weren't aged to box in the amateurs. I went and done some unlicensed fighting, uh-huh. wig gloves, and I mean, uh, I was told that they had an opponent. And I made up it. I had a, I was a zero fighter because you have to lie in that game. And uh, they said I'm fighting a zero fighter as well. So <laughs> I went into the ring and the referee says, you're not wearing any gloves. I had 10 ounce uh, Reyes gloves on. <clears throat> I had them all taped. And uh, he says, you're not wearing any gloves. And I says, but why? I says, he, cho- he, he checked in before I went in the ring. And he says, aye, but that you've put something in the end of them. And I mean, if you if you've ever worn Reyes gloves, the puncher's yeah. gloves, the proper boxing, the ten ends, uh, yeah. when you make impact, they go flat at the end, they go hard. Mm-hmm. He said I'd put something in the end, <clears throat> so I had to go out and change. But I thought this guy, what a fighter this boy was! I put him down twice in the first, <clears throat> and then it was just a war for rounds two and three. And after the fight, I shook his hand. It was a draw. <clears throat> And, he, and I'd say to him, Christ, I said, I thought he'd never had a fight in your life. He says, who told you that? I said, your manager here. And he said, I was a multiple national champion as a junior, and I was an ABA champion as a senior heavyweight. Jesus Christ. 
I says, oh, well, I says, this old man just fucking leathered you then. <laughs> I was pretty soft at that, like, because the boy was brilliant. Honestly, oh, he was brilliant. Do you remember his name? Ah. No. No. I don't remember his name. He was a he was a good fighter. Both hands. He was excellent with both hands. Like his feet yeah. movement, his feet movement was fantastic. Like you have to be, uh, you have to be pretty good to win an ABA, an ABA title. This is one of the things that I don't think people. So when people watch professional boxing, um, and they'll look at someday, and I remember it just came up recently actually. So it's a good example. People people talking about Big John McDermott fighting Tyson Fury. And remember at the time people were saying. Uh, John McDermott, he's fucking, he's rubbish. He's terrible. John McDermott's a good fighter, very good fighter. People don't realise even just how good you have to be to be his level. They don't realise how good you have to be to win a, like an, an English ABA title is a fantastic achievement. To win a Scottish title, you know yourself. Of course, there's no rubbish boys, win it. I mean, because we've boxed before and you understand the fundamentals of the game and how quality these boys are. So there's. I love watching Stevie Simmons. So when you watch Stevie Simmons in the pro, but then when you watch him as an amateur, how different his style was and how fantastic a fighter he was in the amateurs. Like, I mean, I couldn't believe some of the videos I was watching with him in the amateurs. Like, he was absolutely fantastic. Like, I think, I think his problem with returning pro was, uh, like you're saying, Stevie was a, a fact, I think he boxed, did he box Sean Allison? Is that right? <laughs> Sean hit the corner, I mean. I think uh, I think I think the problem Stevie had was he was past his best before he turned pro. He was already his uncle Kenny, mind about Kenny. Kenny Simmons that coached him. No, Kendo. No, I don't know. Um, I, well Kenny, Kenny coached him and, and he'd actually said that. He can and him and Kenny had fell out over that like he uh, just says fuck in and uh, Stevie obviously took Cambridge at that, but uh, Steve would have done well. He went on to win that European belt. Ah, yeah. I mean, he was, he was still, I mean, again, still a good, still a good professional, but his best days were, he was, Kenny was, I mean, there's a few, a couple, a couple of boys that I've spoke to, pals of mine, boys that I sparred, no name names, but, um, <laughs> like, one of my pals who, who I boxed, um, and I've had to say to him, as a, he, he was still boxing uh, amateur recently, and he got beat off a couple of boys, um, he got beat off. What's the young lad you know? The young boy Crawford just coming through. Um, Sean. Sean Is that? Uh, I can't remember where he boxed it. Gumpy. Um, he was. A, I think he won the intermediates or something. And he was apparently a very good, a, a ninety-one kilo boy that was coming up. Apparently quite decent. Oh yes, the Crawford's from Edinburgh. He's got a brother. That's right. He's he's brother. So my father had boxed uh, Sean, and uh, my father. Was a very good light heavyweight, moved up to heavy. He was my sparring partner for most of my career, 50 odd fights. And he lost to Sean Crawford, and I think it was Sean Crawford's fifth or sixth fight. And my pal was saying, Oh, it was a great fight, though, it was a great fight. And I'm saying to him, But you wouldn't have lost that fight five years ago. The fact that it's a good fight means that you're you're now you're done. You shouldn't be having any fights with boys like that. And, and it was a hard conversation to get him to listen to what I was saying to him, saying, You need to stop. You have to it's, stop working. You're that's done. the worst thing. That's the worst thing. I'm going through the now. I'm going through that right at this moment. Having to stop. You can. I mean, I'm I'm starting to forget words and slurring and things like that. And it's you can all have a laugh about it, but it's sometimes I can be speaking to my wife and I just forget what I'm talking about. 
even in mid conversation, it's bloody terrible. Like, well, I mean, I, I've not, I've not had, uh, I never had, I had about twenty four amateur fights. I've not done any bare knuckle stuff. And every now and again, I'll slur a word sometimes and go, "Is that just a, like a mistake, like a conversational mistake, where I'm just forgetting <laughs> what I'm trying to talk about, or have I got beginning the problems here?" And this is one of the reasons that I've never had another fight. As you kind of go, I'm thirty five now, and you're going, "Yeah, is there a problem coming on here, or am I just, am I making up my head?" There's only so many things you can get punched in the head. Um, Oh, I mean, it's not in other sports as well. You know, talking about uh, rugby gump as well. I played rugby for a long time. Also played American football, and that's right. one of the big things that's coming out from both of those sports is that that CTE. You know, the chronic traumatic encephalopathy that causes all those kind of conditions. And we're starting to see it in rugby. We're starting even to see it in you know football nowadays, where guys head, from played in the fifties, the sixties, the seventies with the old heavy leather balls that soaked yeah. up three pound of water when it was raining. You're yeah, starting yeah. to see that. So undoubtedly, you know, in combat sports, especially when the main aim is to take the head, you know, attack the head, attack the body. It's well, you have to wait up. You always have to wait up, don't you? And decide what point do you say? We, we, we like to you. We like to you, uh, Gumby. I mean, there's no really much else you can do in that game, other than no. other than if they got you like a, a like a massive bare knuckle fight. If they got you. A, like a Bobby Gunn and say, did you get a lot of money for it? You'd yeah. Say, Maybe. Other than that, what else have you got to achieve? Uh, well, this is it. This is this is what people are drumming into my head now. I mean, I'm 43 now, so I mean, I've I've really achieved quite a lot. Uh, if, it, if, it was, if, it, if it was me advising you, in in my head, you think I've never achieved anything. But Big Biff for Hoyk, my mate, he he always says, sit there and write it down in a bit of paper. Uh, everything you've done in your life uh, and you'd be amazed at what you've achieved you know yeah. so I mean as I say when I went back when I went back and fought in February there I mean uh, for me I said I'm, I'm retiring after the training camp was brutal uh, see I did I did I did a six month camp so I did a 12 week camp previous fight and I had two weeks off and I was straight back into another camp <clears throat> so I was absolutely exhausted after it like uh, and uh, after that fight, it was just a huge relief, weight off my shoulders. You can, but obviously the the, the chit chat's back now. You know, he's coming yeah. on and he has to say in that. Oh, I seen, I seen, I seen you were there's a bit of stuff uh, with Lee McGarry saying a few bits and bobs. And, uh, I can explain that because I never hide anything. What had happened is I was offered the fight before the Ben Waddington fight. It was the same time as the Ben Waddington fight, sorry. There was a lad uh, for Newcastle, a big Polish lad called Lucas Parabek, <clears throat> and he was a southpaw. Now, our boxed Gary Fairgrieve. Gary's going to win the Scottish. Gary's a great boxer. I sparred Gary as well uh, a couple of times. And uh, I could not box a southpaw. So psychologically, in my head, every time I went in with Gary, I couldn't get near him. I'd maybe hit him a couple of times and then I'd, I'd, I'd take a few loud ones because he'd, he'd pivot the other way and crack us on the, on the other side. So psychologically, I thought there's no way I could beat a southpaw and especially bear knuckle, you see. So I was honest and I, and I said to Sean Smith uh, that I would rather not take that fight. I would rather fight Ben Waddington, who originally they wanted us to fight at the beginning, you see. But because I'd say I, I wasn't sure about southpaws, <laughs> This southpaw just appeared. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it really, 
so when I fought Ben Waddington, I knocked him out in 24 seconds. Uh-huh. So after it, I felt deflated. I thought, I felt like a coward. I couldn't believe I'd, I'd, I'd turned that down. And psychologically, I thought, I've never turned anything down in my life. So why did I do that? He kind of really bothered us. Uh-huh. So it says to me that what they've got to do is they've got to make Lee McGarry and Lucas Parabek an eliminator for the British to fight you. They were both southpaws, you see. So I thought, well, fuck it. I'm going to have to. I can't, I, can't, I can't punish myself any longer, you know, saying that I'm scared to fight a southpaw because I've never been, I was never scared to fight them. I just didn't want to get showing up, you yeah. know. And you can yourself, Chris, yeah. you can, if, you, if you've boxed the southpaw or sparred the southpaw. I struggled the same, exactly the same as you. Could, could, How easy to figure out what was going on. I mean, I would, I would eat punches all the time. Yeah. Just a straight back on coming down through the middle because your defence is completely different. Mm. So uh, when I when I said I'd fight this pair, up, through that training camp, the first fight, I had the same problem psychologically. Uh, wasn't a great, and that's that's why when I when I fought Lee Magari in the first fight that he beat us because I'd overtrained for the fight for a start. Uh, I, I was exhausted, but psychologically, he had his beat, you know. So when I went into the fight after the first minute, I was completely exhausted. Mm-hmm. And I've told him this, I never make excuses, but in that world, you can all just say, oh, he's done this and he's done that. But I was honest up front. So the second time, he completely disrespected me after he went the way he went on, you see. Mm-hmm. I didn't say I let him have his moment. I just came away back home, and I, and honestly, I was that was me finished. And my wife says, "This, there's no way you're finished here. We've got to accept this rematch." And she hates me fighting. Like she was the one that's gave me such a hard time for fighting because it's such a rough sport. Like, and uh, on the Tuesday, I asked for the rematch. So this is, and I changed my coaching. Uh, I still kept the boxing coach, who's my mate, who we coached together at Boxing Club. But yeah. I went, uh, I went to a lad called Mark Huggin. He does the OCR, the the freestyle, or the what do you call that stuff that they do now? The the obstacles, the, the huge. Oh, oh, the obstacle course race and Spartans and go mud, yeah. go tough, and all those things. He, he runs his own business. He's, he's a fantastic coach. So he done my strength and conditioning. I also got a sports psychologist on board and a nutritionist. Uh-huh. And, Having a sports psychologist, I was sitting laughing because I thought, there's no way I'm going to take all this shit in. But I would just read a bit every night and take it in. Unbelievably, on the night of the fight, it was just, I was so relaxed. And that's why I smashed him as quick, because I was that confident. Uh, that's that's interesting. Sports sports psychologist stuff's quite interesting, Gob. I never knew that. That's interesting. Uh, There's a lad called Eddie Sutton. He stays uh, stays about uh, half an hour away from me. He's, he's one of the best sports psychologists in around this area, in the Scottish borders. He was absolutely amazing. And I mean, just, just reading up, little keywords like, say, if you're having a negative thought, you would maybe see a, a, a red flashing light in your head or a stop sign. So that would automatically take it away from you. You see, so he would start thinking other things. And in training, when I was finding training very tough, boring, you know yourself, the players are fit, so you know yourself what it's like. If I had a negative thought, I was to think of a colour. So anything blue, 
So if I was negative and training and tired and sick, I would just look for something blue. And that, that made us feel amazing. Like, so that's how I got through that second camp. Like, and that's yeah. how I was a different fighter on the night in February there. Uh, well, the, on the fight itself, when you watch the fight itself, um, I mean, there's, there can't be any, any I mean, there's, there's no, that was conclusive. Can, there's no, there'd be no reason to have that, that fight again, to me, because that's conclusive. Um, you could see what he was trying to do. He, he, he was trying to parry your jab all the time, like he was trying to come over the top. Um, what, you look, what it looked like you'd done differently... Um, it looked like you were a wee bit closer when you were in range. It looked like you were a wee bit closer, and you were coming over the top. So when you caught him with that right hand, it wasn't really a straight right. It wasn't a hook. It was kind of like an in between, over the top. It looked like what, um, like what, what, what I'd done in that fight. I knew, I knew for the first fight that we we done a lot of wrestling. So he's a steroid freak. He was a powerful lad. So when we were in, I'm really strong, but natural strength. But he's. He was he was really strong. Like so, when we were grappling, I mean, he was just sapping my energy. So, in my training camp, I trained. We did a lot of grappling and things like that. We, uh, there's one of the boys. Uh, he's been in the boxing club for a long time. Eddie Brogan. He's called. He's about nineteen. He's about eighteen, nineteen stone. This guy, but he's a he's a tree surgeon. So he's a he's an absolute machine. Mm. So I would, he would give me pad work, and then automatically we just like let's go and he would grab me and we'd wrestle and then I'd have to push him off and then start punching again and I mean so I trained for the wrestling side of things for the second fight but because I was that fit and I was that confident I was on my toes so every time Lee tried to come near us I would just poke a jab out mm. and although I wasn't hitting him because he he kind of just throws stupid punches and bare knuckles you'll just break your hand uh, so I was, I was yeah. trying to show uh, Soft tissue shots, body, face. All his fucking body was like a brick. I know, like, he was ripped. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that shot that I finished him with was uh, I threw an overhand jab and I pivoted off. That's right, yeah. As I pivoted, I just seen him at the corner of my eye and I just, I just threw that punch and it looked like a hook. Uh, as I was saying, it wasn't, it, wasn't a, it, didn't look, it wasn't quite a hook. It wasn't quite a straight punch. It was... It was like kind of in range, and you could see it was, it kind of came over the top. Yeah, flushed. It landed kind of here. It was beautiful, absolutely. And Ali, if you've not seen it, it's worth watching. Have, yeah. watched the knockout Aye. four or five times. It's a fantastic knockout. It's one of the punches uh, they always say if you hit the sweet spot, you never feel it. It's like hitting a pillow, and that's exactly what it was like. I never felt the punch at all. Uh, I, I can still see the punch now as I throw it because when I pivoted off, I just seen him at the corner of my eye and I just threw the punch, and it was sweet. Beautiful punch, yeah. Uh, that's a good fight. So uh, that would be in February. So I, that's um, well, I know I, I comment and someone on Facebook it was saying like um, if you're going to possibly have another one. Um, the thing about the thing about having another fight is I've had quite a lot of uh, good things. I've been in, I've interviewed. Uh, I got uh, I got put in the Times. Uh, by the Times, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, so I've had a lot of a lot of good response for this fight. But I keep saying to myself, when does it stop? Uh, well, what what I was going to say to you, what I was going to say to you was I know in that in that conversation you said you might have another one and I said if you need. What I always do whenever I whenever I go to a, a, an amateur show or anything, I see any of the guys that I know, I'd always say to them, uh, if you've got a big, because I know how hard it is to get sparring, so I would always say to somebody, if you're needing, struggling for sparring, come on, shout, I'll come and spar your boys, no problem. Uh, and I know I said that to you at the time, if you're struggling for sparring, but if you're saying, 
you're really concerned about forgetting things and that. I tell you now, I didn't want to spar you if you're forgetting things. I didn't want to hit you in the head. Uh, I didn't even hear this, Chris. <laughs> no, I'm, uh, I'm still, I'm still got a spar. There's a lad called uh, uh, Luke Atkins. He was a world champion, bare knuckle fighter, good fighter, Luke. So I'm um, quite good friends with Luke, and uh, he's he's going into the heavyweight division. So we've got to do some sparring together. He was a good amateur boxer, him as well. Like so, <clears throat> I just think with the carry on that's been going on. I mean, I understand how Lee Magari's feeling because I said after the fight I was retired. <clears throat> I'm a grandfather now, you know what I mean? So I have to start putting things into place. Yeah. Because, because he's asked for the rematch, I don't know why he wants a rematch, but he's asked for the rematch and I've never given him an answer. He's now starting with all the bitching stuff coming on and saying I'm a coward and I'm this and I'm that. And as he's seen the post, I lost the head like and I put that on. Uh, but I still feel if I didn't fight again, you've got that coward thing about you. Nah, it's like I think because you're turning that fight away. Uh, but, I, know, I know, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. I felt the same in certain things as well uh, with, with boxing matches and things. But I would, I would tell you, with me advising you, I would say, oh, I do. Well, there's nothing else. That was conclusive. Him the rematch, but I always said I was going to retire after that fight. You know, I mean. Yeah. The thing is, you can't. There's no like, like, um, there's no better way to go out than a, a perfect knockout win. I know. Regain, the belt. There's no better way to go out than that. And if he wants to run his mouth, I mean, you can just show him that clip again. Say, well, you know, you, you, th- you I mean, you, he won the first fight. You're not complaining about that. You're saying, well, he won. That's fine. And then you knocked out in the second fight. Um, you see, you're 43. Uh, there's nothing else to prove to me. I, I would say, well, I mean, I mean, it's still the thing is, what you can do now is be involved and, and help and coach and be you've done all right. Yet. So you can now go and be kind of uh, somebody that people can come to and give advice and help people. Is, when when Billy Finn stopped coaching at Hoyt Boxing Club when I turned 35, I've been coaching Hoyt Boxing Club since then, like. Mm. You can. I've been involved in that. So I've uh, I've got ABA champions. I've got uh, Scottish heavyweight champion. You can fought for the ABA title. I got Marcus Brogan. He won the 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 schoolboy ABAs. Mm. As a coach, we've been really successful as well. You can. So I've run the boxing yeah. for years now. Uh, oh, and it's, it's it's always a great avenue to get into as well as you come towards the end of career is get involved in the coaching. Probably as you've said there, Gumpy, you know, been coaching for the last what five, six, seven years there. Um, it definitely helps. I've done that in a few sports, you know, playing rugby, playing sports. You, you know when you're coming towards the end of things and you think, have half an eye on what comes next, eh? Um, yeah. at, least you, at least you've still got that outlet and that avenue to go down if you do decide that, you know, the I was going to say hang up your gloves, but I suppose in bare knuckle it's hang up your wraps, I guess. <laughs> and then look to move into the coaching more. The thing is, I, I totally agree with you there. Uh, it's got to take some time, obviously, to to stop fighting. I mean, I'm still got a spar because I love, I love, I love the contact. I love being in the ring. But I mean, uh, as far as it's, it's the camp, it's the training. I mean, Chris, he's trained like a Trojan, but you're still seven years younger than me or something, or eight years. Uh, what do you know? I'm 35, I'll be 36 this year, but I've, I notice a difference now. I'm starting to struggle a bit. Honestly, honestly, eight years doesn't seem much, but 
She was honestly, it's yeah. it's, it's really. I mean, well, I'm, just I'm, I feel it as well because I'm pretty much ages with you, Gumpy. I'm 42 next month, so right. I'm in touch with that emotion, mate. Feeling <laughs> <laughs> like, and I never ever thought I'd get to this. You think you're invincible, uh, but I mean, uh, it's just I can't. Be, I've, I've never trained for two weeks. I just cannot be asked in this lockdown. I'm just. I can't be bothered to train at all. One thing that might be interesting for you, um, so what, what a lot of a lot of a lot of fighters have a problem. This very like boxers have a problem uh, is saying when when's enough enough. One of the things that's never the reason that I've never ever thought about coming having another boxing match would be enjoy we enjoy the jiu-jitsu so much, so much fun, Gumpy. And if you're saying you practice a wee bit of wrestling for the the Magari fight, maybe if, I don't know I don't know what's written about you, but you might well find you go and have uh, and I said this when, when we were having this conversation on Facebook that go and do a bit of jiu-jitsu or go and find somebody to wrestle and it Aye. gives you that competitiveness you're still fighting but you're not getting hit in the head and it's great Aye. fun great fun I am um, a mate John McCallum for Edinburgh he's, he's doing that like uh, he he's he's now uh, he's doing the jiu-jitsu he loves it like Aye. it's a great sport isn't it? you didn't get hit in the head it's brilliant <laughs> it's, just finding, it's just finding the time because when you're coaching at the when you're coaching the kids, we're there three nights a week. You know what I mean? So that's that's uh, that's trouble. I have to try and find some time for my wife. I know. Uh, you better, you better <laughs> keep the gaffer happy. That's it. I don't you know it? Don't uh, we know it? Just talking there as well. We with, with your age, Gumpy. I reckon we may have even physically ran into each other on a rugby pitch back in the day because you were saying you played south of Scotland. I uh, played for Hoyt. I played for Dunfermline and North and Midlands. North and Midlands was my area because I'm up here in the Central Belt. And I played there 94, 95, 96 neck of the woods. And we definitely played Hoyt in the schools league when I played for Dunfermline High. So I reckon there's maybe an outside chance we've physically banged into each other a few times back in the day. I'm trying to think uh, who played in the North and Midlands in the days like... Well, I was, and even talking Scotland under-18s, I, I never made it into the Scottish, but I had, like, uh, Keith Dickinson, Malcolm Welsh, Ali Welsh, Scott Swanky. They all played, like, in the pack, under-18 Scottish schools, kind of late to mid-90s, 94, 5, 6, 7, that kind of right. neck of the woods. Was the North and Midlands, was, that wasn't, was Edinburgh included in that, or was it just... No, it was kind of Fife, Dundee, and... It aye, kind aye, of tipped aye. in towards Aberdeen, but it was mostly kind of north of the fourth, eh, central belt. He just uh, wore north red, of the fourth. Red strips, red strips, wasn't it? Aye, yeah. Aye, it was, aye. I probably did play against you because you used to play our games up in Murrayfield on a Wednesday night. Can you remember that? Yeah. Aye, yeah, yeah, on the, on the back pitches, yeah, yeah. And like, red strips are always good when you're ginger, eh? Makes you look horrific. <laughs> <laughs> Aye, aye, aye. Probably did play against each other, pal. Probably yeah. did. There you go. Well, days. Another one of those weird connections, eh? Well, when I, <laughs> funny because I always when I when I uh, I went to uh, school in uh, Kenross, Gump, and it was I was at a rugby school, and I never ever wanted to play rugby at that point. And then when I started lifting, when I was lifting the weights for a while, uh, the rugby club in Rosyth, uh, Faith Southern, I think it's now Rosyth Sharks are now called. They always asked me. This was in the last. Two years, you know what? Play rugby, Chris, and I would say I'm like, I've been hitting the head enough. I'm going to need to, like you, like we are saying now. If I'm playing rugby, I'm playing rugby a hundred percent. I'm going to hit everybody hard. I didn't need to get hit in the head like that anymore. <laughs> uh, 
rugby's completely different sport now. I mean, when we played when we were younger, it was it was it was tough. It was great, but now it's it's really tough. The guys are machines, but I mean, it's more like a rugby league nowadays, isn't it? I mean, uh, well, I I remember back in the day, like a big winger would have been you know, 11, 11 and a half stone. Now the, the top, you know, your George Norths and stuff, they're like 14, 15, 16 stone, but running as fast as an 11 stone winger back in the day, whereas 16 stone would have been a, a big lock back when I played, you know what I mean? You're right, you're right, 100%. 100%. And that's where the, the hits are getting worse because you've got bigger bodies moving at a bigger speed, you know, basic physics, eh? And then you've got a 16 and a half stone boy running it you know, a, a, a 10 and a half or an 11 second 100 metres slamming into another boy running at that speed and then you've got props that are 19, 20 stone but can still move around and I, terrifying, terrifying the size of the boys now. When I played for Hoyku, we were training one night and there was a French prop came over just for, uh, he went about one of the, the boys from New Zealand and uh, he was he was doing sprints himself down the touchline and he's, he must have been about 18, 19 stone but he was he was then again, it was about 10, 11 seconds for the 100 like. I've never seen anybody run like this in my life. It was an art. <laughs> it's wild, eh? <laughs> it's, it's one of the sports. I never I never had an interest in, in rugby until five years ago. And you, I used to watch the, the football. And, it, and the football is now so soft, it's embarrassing. And, you oh, watch it, rugby, and every single every single piece of contact in rugby would be considered assault in football. Oh, I. Do you know what I mean? They're getting stuck in and they get up. And they'll maybe have a bit of set two, and then it's shake hand. The referee comes in, they respect the referee, and they get on with it. And you go, I, I like this. This is better than football. This oh, is better than football. Definitely. But I mean, uh, they've got a shorter career as what we have, I'd imagine. Well, now. If, if, you, if, you, if you look at the, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, a, it's like a, a boxer or somebody who's doing MMA or playing r- rugby. If you, I mean, just look at the, the Six Nations, they can't really play every week. Physically, they just cannot play everything. They have to have a break because the bodies are getting punished. Football play, sometimes they'll play three games a week. You can't do that. and You couldn't fight three times a week and you couldn't play rugby three times a week. It's just no. impossible. It's so hard no. with the body. The body no, they've got to get broken down at some point. Um, so it's, it's uh, something that I now watch. I quite like watching the, the Six Nations and the Rugby World Cups now. Something that I like watching. Um, yeah. As you say, it was it was it was when the professional I think came into union, as you were saying, Gumpy earlier, kind of that what ninety eight, ninety nine when the Reavers came around and Edinburgh and Glasgow got professional. That started right. to make the big difference when union professionalised from being the yeah. purely amateur, even at the top level, as you know, it was it was amateur back in what ninety five, ninety six, I think it went pro was the first year they allowed it. Hi, because who won there? Uh... We were fortunate. I was fortunate enough to play for Hoyk. So I was playing against internationals week in, week out. It was fantastic playing yeah. against the Hastings brothers and, and up against uh, some legends of the sport now. Uh, well, I, I remember playing against Kenny Logan when he was with Stirling County. Aye. Do you know what I mean? And as you say, nowadays they'd be, I mean, I think it was a, the season after that, he ended up down at Wasps, I think it was. Um, but you'd played alongside him and playing against guys like. Um, uh, aye, as you say, so many of them that, that were Scottish internationalists but played club rugby because that's what everyone did back then. Andy Nicholl, Andy Nicholl was the name I was looking for. <laughs> the old scrum half. That, that was the good thing. I mean, as I say, I played against played against a lot of the internationals, and it was just a it was just a great great feeling. And and Hoyk produced a lot of great 
Yeah. Scottish internationals. It's a, it's a rub area, isn't it? Aye. It's a rub area. So at the time when I played for Hoyk, you had like Tony Stanger who played in the wing for Scotland. You had Kami, Kami, uh, uh, Kami, Kami's name. He he played for Scotland at the time. You had uh, like Sir Jim Hay. He played for Scotland A as a hooker. Brian Rennick, Scotland A as a number eight. And all the boys were playing at the time, national weekend, so it was it was brilliant. Good times then, like it really was. So see, so see when you see when you are talking about you didn't think you've achieved anything. You've actually achieved enough a lot. Okay, it was really it was really good. It was good times, and as I say, it took me a long time to get over the rugby because I was devastated because as I say, it was my first love, you know, and I I really wanted to. Great memories. It's good to look back on these things and think you've done them and. Um, Kind of great, great, great memories you've got. I mean, you're like oh. saying you're played with the Hastings brothers and things like that. That's that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> the top was like it was like an eclipse of the sun. <laughs> <laughs> I tackled him, and uh, as he got up, he punched his in the head, and he says, "You little bastard!" Like that, I got up. I was, I was struck. <laughs> I was starstruck. <laughs> I was starstruck. <laughs> <laughs> right, literally, that, that, literally starstruck. Like, oh, like you could take a shot. Thank you, go on, yeah, yeah. Aye, it's it's funny when you look back, people don't realise, especially guys that have like I've got a uh, teenage sons, eh? And they kind of watch the rugby and don't remember the the pre-professional days of union. And I'll say to them, no, all the clubs had, you know, you would go to the clubhouses like you were saying down at Hoyt and all the jerseys would be up. And it would just be a, a row of not just Scotland jerseys, but Lions jerseys, Baba's jerseys. You know, you would see the lot of it and you would think, geez, oh, for a relatively small club, you know, like, you know, a, a place like Hoyt, a place like Dunfermline, where I'm from, eh, even I played Chris was talking about Five Southern. That used to be Recycling District. Um, yeah. And even boys from there had played, like back in the day, had played, you know, internationally. It's, uh, it's, it's just such a different game nowadays, eh? I got a great uh, compliment off a fellow called Ian Barnes. He was a... Uh, he, he used to coach Edinburgh. Uh, he, okay, played, he was a Scotland international. He was a great player, him. Big so- and he used to coach Hoyk at the time when I played. And uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Hoyt Common Riding. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it was at the festival at the Common Riding, and uh, they go up. It's called the Hut. You go up drinking at five o'clock in the morning. Crazy times, but we were sitting in the golf club about uh, ten o'clock in the morning. Or everybody was drunk, and uh, he was sitting with Jim Rennick. He's a legend of the sport. Very southern nationals for Gala Shields, and uh, he shouted us over. And he, uh, they were all having a discussion about us. So he shouted us over and I says, uh, what can I do for you today, Ian Barney? And he says, uh, I've told these guys, you were the best back row forward in Scottish rugby at the time wow. when I coached you. And I was laughing and Jim Rennick, who I'm really good friends with, like he's a cheeky swine, but he, as I say, he's a legend in the game, Jim Rennick. And uh, he says, no, 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 Gumpy. He wasn't clever enough to be a fucking great rugby player. And Barney was arguing. <laughs> Barney was arguing, says, uh, I tell you now, without a drink or with a drink, he says, you were the best back row forward in Scottish rugby. 
when I coached you, and he says it was a damn shame what happened to you. Like I was, I was chuffed as I was chuffed to bits. Then, like uh, everybody's got their own opinion of people again, but I, I was chuffed when he said that. You know. Yeah. Oh, quite right, quite right too. As it goes back to what Chris was saying, you know, you're saying, oh, what have you done? But you know, I mean, when someone like Renick saying, you know, something like that. And it's, it's, it's one of those things as you get a bit older and you kind of look back and you think of the what-ifs, you know, you're saying about your, your neck injury and stuff and uh, you think, oh, if, 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 if. But then you wouldn't have gone down the path that you've ended up on, so... You wouldn't a lot of oh. experiences, met met some good people, and this is where you end up. Aye, that's that's what it says. Just just you know, and then when it's time, it's time, and it's all recorded. You can I'm on YouTube and that now, so you can you can show all them to your grandkids and things when you're an old man. You can I mean you can. Ah, it's all good fun. <laughs> so what, what the thing, the thing, the way I always look at these things is it's, it's just a path. You're just on a path in your life, and you you look at it in sections and go, well, you've done your rugby thing, you've done the boxing thing. Now, who's to say you can't go on and find a world champion at a hike and coach a world um, champion? That's the way you um, have to look at it and say, you know, this is now the path we're on. And you can go, and, whether it's whether it's a bare knuckle guy or whether it's a glove guy, uh, you can go and maybe coach somebody very good. Aye, well, my grandsons, he's uh, he'll be strewn into the boxing club as soon as he's old enough, believe us. Aye, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's good. So, what, um, is Big, Big Davy still involved? Is he still coming to the gym or? Nah, Davy. Davy's Davy's got his own business, uh, but he's got he's he's got a lot of shoulder problems, Davy. Like I know because he hit me that hard. No wonder he's got shoulder problems. <laughs> I, <laughs> he's got uh, he's got a, he's got a dicky knee as well. Like uh, right. Off a nice, off a nice laddie, Davy. Oh, he's a gentleman. He's a good lad, Dave. He's a good. So lad. One of the things that was going to ask you, um, uh, Gumpy. Do, do, do people are people ever surprised? Because I've known you for a while, and I knew you obviously even after my box, and you were always always a lovely guy to talk to. But people ever surprised when you? Because if you say bare knuckle boxing to somebody, they think thugs and kind of criminals and underground and all that. And then you meet you, and you're just kind of big a big gentle giant. Can the people are people surprised by that? He didn't have to be an arsehole to be tough. You can, I mean, no. the, you can. I mean. He can be a nice guy. I, I respect people. As I say, Chris, I respect people who do any sport. But, I mean, especially the fighting side of things. I mean, in rugby, things like that, I mean, you've got 15, 14 other guys to help you. But when you get into a boxing ring, yeah. or again, in judo, judo in the matter, and it's, it's only the twoies. You can, I mean, so, I mean, you have to give anybody respect for, for actually getting in and doing that, like, yeah. you can. That might, that, be the quote that, I'll, that might be the quote of the day, though. You don't have to be an arsehole to be tough. I think we should get that on a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the new quote of the day. I love that. Five percent of the sales, like. <laughs> 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 we need a T-shirt made up with your face on it. You don't have to be an arsehole to be tough. 